Welcome to episode four of In Search Of. Today's guest is uh, my buddy Rob Logan. Rob's a, Rob's a uh, personal trainer, strength coach, uh, photographer, father, husband. Lives out in uh, L.A. now, but but he's a buddy from back here in good old Brooklyn. And uh, the guy's just got just got a great worldview. Uh, we spend two hours here talking about, uh, God, talking about a lot. Um, talking about uh, masculinity, what it means to be a man, uh, how he's raising his son um, to be a man, um, and what it means to to have that, that feminine side and that masculine side, and, and how those are both parts of all of us. And um, we should embrace those things. Uh love you know what is love and how do we express it especially as men um we just it's it's what i really wanted to get out of this podcast is um real talk about real subjects uh, without fear uh, um really just digging in and, and man I, you just got to listen because we just go on for two hours and i could talk to this guy for 10 hours i, I mean um I don't know. I, I loved it. Uh, I can't wait to, to do more uh, podcasts just like this because this this really hammered home uh, why I did this and what I was trying to get out of this is, is to dig deep, to see what people are really thinking. Um, and it's just good stuff. So without further ado, uh, episode four, with my buddy Rob Logan. Yeah, so uh, here it is. We're uh, episode uh, four now, and I've got my uh, friend Rob on. So uh, just a little backstory. Rob and I met years ago um, at CrossFit Virtuosity, which was uh, a CrossFit gym in Brooklyn. It kind of was like this weird little like hub, um, I think, for a lot of people and uh, really spawned a lot of people. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people in gyms, a lot of... Uh, uh, people open CrossFit gyms. A lot of people from there um, went into a variety of kind of uh, things in the um, in the realm of fitness, uh, and just a very huge variety, like really big, big uh, uh, swing of things. And um, I don't know. So I brought Rob on because he's now out in LA, but just he's one of those guys, uh, uh, a very kind of magnetic personality. Um, but a, a guy who's who's been through a lot of shit and uh, come out on the other side and in I think has just a good outlook on life like not like one of these like fake um, <laughs> things of like like hey I'm super happy but 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 yet still a super positive person um, so Rob I think just I guess kind of give a little background uh, about where you're at or I guess a little kind of story of where you're at now what you're doing now and um, then we'll just kind of take everything back to the beginning. Yeah, so uh, my wife and I moved out here to L.A. 
uh, over like a, a year and a month ago. And, you know, it's not, it's not a move that I, I really wanted to make, but it was a, it was a, a great move for my wife's career. And I, I, I you know, I'm bummed. I don't, I don't want to live out in LA. I'm a, I'm a city boy. You know, I just want to stay in Greenpoint, walk over to Five Leaves, drink coffee, stop by, see, say what up to you. Should have been doing this in your, in your, inside of right. your apartment, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, it was a good move for my wife. And, um, you know, we're out here and I'm, I'm making the best of it. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm glad that you, you said that I, I, I have a, a, a good positive outlook on life because I, I really try to, without making it some pseudo fake happy hippie fucking bullshit mm-hmm. you know like no matter what i i'm i'm grounded in reality yeah. that life is fucking hard all right my like i'm not happy uh by a lot uh w- with a lot of things but i have to come out on the other side w- with a, a positive idea of what could be or else you know, in, in my early 20s, in, in my late teens, uh, I was just sucked into that void of, of fucking negative mental attitude. Just f- fucking punching motherfuckers in the face in the street over, over just over just fucking looking, um, you know, like fucking beating people up with with thrown out Christmas trees on the sh- in the corner of fucking Williamsburg. You know, just doing like ignorant shit and, um, you know, had, had to tone that down a little bit, but I'm still, you know, I, my wife makes fun of me for this, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm fueled by anger and frustration, but I, I have to let it come out in, in a different way now that I'm older, that I'm a father, that I'm trying to actually make fucking normal friends, um, <laughs> you know. It's, you know, and I think this really hit home the other day. I had a conversation with a couple people the other day and they were like, you know, you're just such a positive person. And I was like, what, me? Really? Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, I guess I, I am, but I think of myself as so cynical and so negative in so yeah. many ways. But I, I, I guess from the outside, and that's, you know, and that's when I was really kind of, and I, I thought about you in that instance. And I was like, you know, because you, I, I think it's easy for someone to be positive when they they haven't like seen the shit and and i think when you're there and you're still like listen like this there's a lot of this that sucks and i'm real realistic about it and i I know where things lie but i can be um i can be happy or or at least i can be content with where i'm at and and continue to work towards it. yeah yeah man agreed I don't necessarily look at myself in a way that I'm just super positive. Hey, you know, like a beat person that that person is actually my wife. She's, (laughs) if anything, she's, she's changed my outlook through her outlook. And, you know, when I first started seeing her, when I first started dating her, I remember we met, we met up for, for a date and she showed up and she was just like, I was just talking to her and we were just bullshit and she was smiling, she was laughing. And I was like, hey, listen, you don't, you know, you don't have to like fake it. You know, you don't have to like laugh to like fill in the, the space. And she was like, no, like I, I'm just laughing. I, I think everything's funny and I'm having like a, a, a good time. I, I'm, I'm just like being happy. And I was like, 
okay. And then the more we were hanging out, I was like, damn, like that's really, that's really a fucking thing. Yeah. And it, we started dating at a time where uh, I had just gotten out of prison. And furthermore, I had just gotten out of, of, out of prison for a crime that I technically didn't commit, but I was there for. And, you know, my, uh, I had committed enough crimes before this that basically I went to prison for everything that I've done. Right. And, you know, I, as I got out of prison, I realized, you know, fuck, man, life is fucking dope. Being out of prison is fucking amazing. Walking down the street in fucking Williamsburg is sick. <laughs> There's all these fucking beautiful people that are dressed interestingly, that are doing fun fucking shit. Oh, here's like a weird looking person over here. That's fucking amazing. I'm sick and tired of seeing suburban, normal ass fucking people. And it just, it gave me like a new, a new look. And then I started dating my wife, you know, I, obviously she wasn't my wife at the time, but, and you know, I just kind of, I, I ran with that, with somebody showing me quality of life rather than I need to have all these things and I need to be, you know, uh, this much money in order to be happy, this many clients or this many shooting gigs, this many assisting gigs. Like it was just be happy with what's in your life right fucking now. And before that, man, I was just, I was not fucking happy. Life was fucking hard. I was super poor all the time you know, was, was surrounding myself with people that supported me and what I was going through, but maybe they just didn't have these ideas that I had, uh, of change. And maybe we were just all young at the time. And maybe I had to go through that, uh, tough period of time to force me out the other end to have a different outlook. Does that make sense? Was I just rambling? I don't fucking You might have been rambling, but it's fucking, I'm, it's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with it. I'm in it. All right. So let's, because I, I think all of this shit is so fucking important and, and, and because there's, there's just, there's, we have a lot of parallels and I want to go back, like, mm-hmm. like talk, where'd you grow up and how did so you I grow up? Connecticut in this, in this fucking place called Fairfield, Connecticut, where there was one black kid and his name was Brock. His father was a famous baseball player, and Brock and I were friends. And, you know, and then, you know, uh, I, I just had a, a different view on, on life from like a, a very young, uh, from a very young age. Uh, I wasn't fitting in with all these super, you know, conservative looking like rich kids that I look back on now that basically were like, you know, like, <laughs> like pink, uh, like chinos with like a polo shirt, like collar popped with like loafers. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like those, those fucking people, because remember this is like the eighties. Yeah. This isn't the nineties. This isn't like the two thousands. It, it wasn't when Puff 80s. Daddy re, re, rebranded it. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, I, I wasn't down with that. You know, I was listening to fucking metal for my older brother my older brother, Matt. And then, you know, I'm from a divorced family. So when I, on the weekends, when I go f- visit my mother, my, my older stepbrother, Keith, uh, you know, me and him are fucking listening to hot 97 fucking, you know, uh, at, at fucking like, you know, 8 PM on fucking Saturday nights when they have like the fucking like funk master flex fucking 
it was just fucking dope. You know, I got my mom yelling at me while I'm listening to fucking hip hop and we're trying to get real close to the fucking, to the speaker and fucking just have it up like a little bit so we can listen to it and shit, you know? So, uh, you know, I, I was this young, like white kid listening to hip hop and listening to fucking metal and nobody else around me was doing that shit. Motherfuckers were listening to Peter Gabriel, <laughs> which I'll listen to now, but at that time, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, and it was just, I, I was a, a perpetual outsider and perpetually just alone. Nobody to fucking hang out with just playing basketball alone in my fucking driveway, you know, fucking interested in break dancing. Yeah. Uh, nobody else was interested in that. So I, I couldn't pursue it. Like I tried. I, I was so bad. I know. Man. I was so well, bad. I had like the cardboard <laughs> laid out. <I> was... <laughs> you know, so I, I was just different from the get go, man, from, from my environment. And, you know, uh, I, uh, without getting into too much detail, like my home life was tough. I had fucking two step parents that were fucking just sucked. You know, but that were you're, just, you're pretty tight with your parents now, right? Yeah. My, my parents, uh, yeah. my father had remarried and I'm, t- I'm tight with his new, uh, wife. She's pretty sweet. That's cool. Yeah. You cause know? like, you know, I, I mean, I, same, my, I mean, my parents, my dad remarried later, but he, that was a different story. But actually my, my, growing up sucked because when my parents were together it would have been much better probably if they separated like <laughs> yeah. when they got divorced it's... i was like finally you guys have like like this has been a shit but like my dad and i hated my dad for you know 20 years and now we're cool it's weird to be like 40 and be like dude yeah this is like a great yeah. relationship um so so you know being the outsider did that so you and how did that lead into i mean obviously metal and, and hip-hop that tells me right how it leads to like the hardcore scene but like how did you kind of get ingratiated into that yeah so you know like my friends and i the few that i had we were were skaters like 1991 is is when we started skating there's no tony hawk fucking video games and shit and we we were getting fucking beat up by fucking college kids in our town high school and college kids were, were pulling up to the fairfield green and beating us up and one of our friends, his older cousin, was in like a hardcore band. I can't remember what which one or whatever, but uh, and he was like, "Hey, man, you want this? You, you want to like check out this mixtape?" And I was like, "Yeah, man, cool." You know, gave it to me. Had a couple of local like Connecticut hardcore bands on it, and then went to my freshman year in high school, and <laughs> my my friend uh, that I played football with was this kid, Anthony Russo. And his older brother was Dave Russo. And Dave Russo was playing drums in this band, just came out at the time, this band, Hatebreed. No shit. Okay. So this dude gave me a demo. Dave Russo was like, yo, man, this is Hatebreed's demo. Gave it to me. He's like, that's the new shit. It's like tight. And I fucking listened to that three-song demo. It was like, oh, shit. And that was like the, the fucking craziest thing I fucking ever heard in my life. And then, you know, I was already going to shows a little bit more local at that time. And then, you know, getting rides out to New Haven, Connecticut, getting rides out to fucking like Hamden, Connecticut, getting rides out to fucking Wallingford. 
every, all these places, and I started seeing all these different types of people, all these people that kind of had the same ideas, the same look, the same attitude, the same kind of life that I was that that I had felt, all these feelings, and they all took you in, and we all kind of had the same end goal, even though there's different niches, you know, youth crew, old school, new school, metalcore, fast, slow, mid tempo, you know. Um, we're, we're all kind of like basically the same, you know, at that time, yeah, I was straight edge. I didn't do any drugs, but that didn't mean that I was surrounding myself with people that weren't doing drugs. I was, it was like me and four other people that were straight edge, (laughs) you know, but it was cool. You know, people smoke weed and drink around us, you know, we were hanging out in parking lots at shows and shit and getting and, and talk shit and fucking fuck off and. It was super fucking cool, man. And I'm glad that I found that. Yeah. Because without that, I'd probably just be the most boring, normal, no life experience, no fun. Like, you know, like those people that think that, hey, man, I had like the best time of my life dragging a keg out into the fucking woods every weekend. Like, okay, that's that's kind of tight. But I didn't like much cooler shit than that. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe if there wasn't a show popping off on that weekend, maybe – I went out and like did that and maybe started some fucking trouble because I sucked. But, (laughs) you know, I I was terrible in high school, man. I sucked. But, uh, you know, so it, it, that was basically the start. And, you know, I I was talking to some people about, you know, this kind of shit and what hardcore does and stuff. And it's really just friendship music. And it's the coolest idea to think of that. It's like everybody thinks that we're, oh, like, Oh, I'm so angry. Like, it's like, yeah, we're angry, but it's being channeled in this way where all these people are coming together and, and, and doing this thing together as a community. And then you break off and there's separate, you know, friendship groups and everything. And that's cool. But when we all come together, it was fucking sick, man. And even to this day, you know, in, in 2019, I started going to hardcore shows in maybe like 1993, that when when people are are visiting California, they stop by here. Yeah, you know, when I was living in Brooklyn and friends were on the road or you know traveling on tour and shit, fucking slept on my couch. And I can go anywhere, almost anywhere yeah. in America and some places in Europe. Sure, you know, and and there's people that I know there, and that's fucking dope, man. I, I had, you know, two years ago I had some friends from Finland. You know, yeah. came over to the house. It was. You know, we just knew each other from hardcore and from the online community that where we're able to kind of keep talking and connecting with each other. Um, and, you know, I had never met these guys in person, but I fucking met up with them in person when they were in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. And then like last month they were here in Long Beach and I drove out to Long Beach and fucking hung out with a whole bunch of my friends out there from Finland that were, were visiting for this fest and that's really what it's about, man. Just fucking hanging out, sharing ideas and, and being creative. And that's the creativity I think is such a cool fucking thing in the hardcore scene. Cause it, like it was not, ne- that was never my scene. I just had a lot. I was just ancillary. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it was never my, like my preferred music. I love it. Yeah. I, lo- I love the music, but like, it was not my, I'm not going to play hardcore in my bands. That's not, not something I ever had an interest in, but I, I was friends with a lot of guys and they were the DIY aspect of it was so fucking yeah. cool. Cause dudes were, artists they were musicians they were marketers they were mm-hmm. and sound engineer like people did everything because they had to and, and then you would these guys like 
I mean, I remember the bands I would play in, and and you know, someone would be like, "Okay, well, yeah." Like my my buddies would always say, they were like, "Man, you did it right. You play music that fucking girls listen to." Like it's, <laughs> like show. but they'd be yeah. like, they'd be like, Dude, and these guys were like, you know, well known in the scene, like big, big names, and they're like, "Man, we got paid five hundred bucks to go out and play this show out in Chicago," and I'm like you guys are like fucking legends in this scene and you only made 500 bucks when like the bar band down the street just made like two grand to play shitty 80s covers for three hours. <laughs> but it was for the love. Like they don't even fuck about the money. Like, you know, I mean, a European tour, they would do pretty well or whatever, but still yeah. it was like, it was never about that. And so it really kept this really cool, like, I, like I, I think it's this, and part of it's my age, but I, I see a lot of like people nowadays like you see a band or, or you have this argument and someone's like i'm like man that person sucks and they're like well they made 40 million dollars they're great and i'm like if that's what you judge quality art as then yeah well you can go fuck yourself because i don't that's not yeah. that's we're not, not how I, we're not on the yeah. we're not living the same life we're, <laughs> like we're not looking through life through the same lens man yeah. you know money doesn't define anybody's existence no you know but, 40 million dollars but that fucking guy's life m- might suck <laughs> and know? also like it's like that's that's not what I, that's not how I say that something is good. Yeah. And like, that's not how I say something is worthwhile. And, and, um, you know, I think like you said, like the whole friend, that's what I love is like, you know, you put on a hardcore song and someone's like, God, this is so, so angry. And I'm like, if you listen to the fucking lyrics, like half the time, it's like, I can't wait to hang out with my friends. They're the greatest. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> Don't turn your back on your friends. Yeah. You know, fuck, like some of them are talking about being vegetarian, being vegan. (laughs) Some of them are talking about not doing drugs and supporting your friends. Yeah. Like real angry fucking shit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, like, and and that's the the cool part about it is that it's a mix. Yeah. You know, I don't want to surround myself with people that think exactly the same as I do. That's fucking boring, man. I want to be challenged on my ideas. And as a, as a young man, um, you know, bands like Earth Crisis challenged me. Mm-hmm. You know, they were talking about being vegan and being straight edge and why and the effects that it's having on the environment. Then I was listening to bands like 108, who was talking about Krishna and, you know, all, all things live and, and die through Krishna. And I'm listening to the fucking Cro-Mags that are talking about Krishna but also talking about fucking waking up with a gun on their fucking head. Exactly. You know, because they're living in squats in fucking Lower East Side. Well, that's, um, and I love the dichotomy. Like, people weren't defined by some identity. Like, they were like, yeah, I'm in this crew. But, like, I remember talking to my, my friend Dave, and, and he was a Hare Krishna, and then someone just told a story about how they were out and some... I don't know. They're talking about how he like fucking kick some dude in the face. And I'm like, do you you ever like have trouble reconciling the two? And he's like, absolutely. He's like, trust me. It's like, I have trouble reconciling the two things all the time. He's like, but I'm just trying to do my best. And I was like, yeah, that's it, man. That's, that's what's lacking right now in 2019, especially in the political, uh, in this political landscape that's so polarized right now is that, you know, nothing is black and white. Nothing is a or B. There's all kinds of gray area in the middle. And one thing that I'm having trouble with being a liberal Democrat who's a who's super progressive. I want everybody to have equal rights is that we're not all the same. That's it. We're, We're not guys and girls. Totally different. Two different fucking people. Two different. Biology is 100 percent different. Okay, we can split hairs and and go down this whole like gender identity fluid 
thing, whatever. Um, but really, we're, we're all different. So, so why, why aren't we celebrating being different? Mm-hmm. And through that difference, well, you know, you know what, Jeb, your strengths are my weaknesses, man. If I need something, I, I want to be able to come to you. But if I'm saying that your side is bullshit and you're saying my side's bullshit, there's nothing that's ever going to happen in between. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a hard part about living in 2019 as a fucking like an intelligent, educated person. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny because one of my best friends from college, we, we're still super close. He's an economist. He's a writer. He's, he's a, um, and he's a libertarian. We have almost opposing viewpoints on kind of everything. I mean, yeah. pol- I mean, not socially cause he's super socially very liberal, um, but that was never, it's never been a problem. We still hang out and we disagree, but you know what? The guy's super fucking smart. It's not based on emotion. It's based on what his beliefs are, you know, and, and the difference is he can make a valid argument. I might not agree yeah. with it, but he's got, and so it's, I respect the shit out of everything he says. Whereas yeah, man, now, listen. yeah. And, and now you got people that are like, you know, you're a fucking idiot cause you believe this. And I'm like, well, dude, like no offense, but you fucking you know, like in my community, like, dude, you lift weights. Like, I don't really give a shit about what you think about economics. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't really, like, it's not, it's not really that yeah. important to me. And that's it. That's the, that's one thing I'm kind of struggling with uh, in the online yeah, uh, arena is that I'm just like a, a personal trainer. I'm just an artist. Like, a, I, yeah, I studied some of this stuff in school, but mm-hmm. it's just my opinion, man. It's very subjective. I have no formal education in, in political science. But at the or, same time, your opinion has value. Does it, though? I don't know, man. That's why I'm not on Twitter. Because I, I don't think anybody's opinion has value. It, it's because it's just an opinion. We, we need these things to be backed. And also because it, it leaves this huge void in context. Once I have only a certain amount of characters to say something to you, and you only have a certain amount of characters back. And then most people's, uh, you know, patience uh, wears thin after that. You know, I got into some fucking fake internet discussion about somebody calling people that are conservatives Nazis. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yo, man, Holocaust Remembrance Day was literally like two weeks ago. Those people were persecuted and, and murdered by real life Nazis. Mm-hmm. So you saying that that. Donald Trump is a Nazi actually kind of downplays real Nazis. And then this person was like, well, I'm not going to get into the argument and example of historical Nazis versus like modern day thinking Nazis. And and it's just like, all right, man, I I know what you're saying, Mm -hmm. but I'm blown away that you don't understand that calling people that don't self identify as a Nazi and aren't, uh, putting Jews in gas chambers. Those people are not Nazis mm-hmm. until they show up with a Swazi fucking band on their arm. Uh, they're just trying to do what conservatives do mm-hmm. and that's have smaller government and, and spend less money. Meanwhile, they're fucking lying and fucking running up the, the running out of fucking money in this country from it. But you know, I, I can see both areas and that's what's missing, man, is that people understanding that the, everything is not a and then B, you, you know, there's, there's a, there's all this space in between. Fuck. There's even an example of that in Donnie Darko. 
you know, if you remember, like, does this make you happy or does this make you sad? Oh, yes. He has to go up to the board and he's like, you know, life, life doesn't live in this, in this happy and sad world. There's all this stuff in between here. And then the teacher is just like, well, there's only two answers to this. So which one is it? And he was just like, motherfucker. And he puts the X. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's it. That's, that's it. Just play that and explain it to people that, you know, there's, there's a ton of gray area and there's a ton of human emotion and subjective free thinking that we, we all have. So you fucking use it. So how, how did you end up in New York? Dude, I was just sick and tired of motherfucking Connecticut, dude. <laughs> but I, um, I went to school of visual arts for college. So as soon as I, I spent one year in Connecticut going to uh, a community college just to kind of see where I'm at, what Connecticut was like. Maybe I didn't want to leave. And, you know, I was just wasting my fucking time there. And so applied to School of Visual Arts, got in. My father and I figured out the loan thing and do that fucking End of that summer, I just moved right to fucking uh, 23rd Street and Lexington Ave, Ooh. right above Gramercy Park. Ooh. Lived there until 2004. So from 99 to 2004, I lived in these Man. in these fucking dorms called the George Washington, and that was the sketchiest living situation <laughs> of my entire life. I credit being able to ha- handle prison because I lived in the George Washington for four years. Really? If that to any indication. There was a bunk bed. There was a bathroom. I had, I had a single folding chair. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, man. I didn't have a fucking computer. I didn't have, I barely had a fucking phone. I was like putting in fucking quarters in the payphone and shit just to call my girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Finally got got a cell phone i think my second year I, I don't even know how i got through that first fucking year man but i mean 2000 yeah, anyway. 2000 2001 like cell phone it was i guess everyone had one but it was still like a lot of people didn't like yeah it was uh it was, it was like a weird transition time the, do you remember you had like 300 minutes for the month and then anything after that was like way extra. It was like a lot of fucking money. Extra. I remember like people get pissed if you text them because you're like, dude, I got fucking pay for that. Don't text me. Yeah. Like, it was crazy, man. I remember it was like if I spent if it was seventy nine ninety nine, I had three hundred minutes for like a hundred twenty dollars. It was a thousand minutes and then unlimited, oh, unlimited calls on the weekend. <laughs> That's right. Nights and weekends plan. Shit, nights and weekends. When that <laughs> nights and weekends came out, you were like, don't talk to me until after That's fucking it. nine. That's right. PM. We wouldn't fucking talk until like nighttime. Yeah. It didn't matter because I didn't do anything fucking during the day, but <laughs> like, holy shit. Yeah. So yeah, man. This... And that was a big transition period in New York. Like, I mean, that was when shit really was. Yeah. Really it, was, it was really weird, man. So up on 26th, in Lexington, that was the prostitution spot. And so my friends and I would, you know, be walking up Lexington northbound. And I was like, why the fuck are all these fucking, you know, transvestites like fucking groping up on me, man. And then it turns out that that was like the biggest prostitution spot. And after 9-11, and there was a huge crackdown with, you know, um, 
police were literally just in the fucking street with yeah. big ass fucking machine guns and shit. It was like a third world country. We had fucking, you know, cops just sitting out there with their fucking guns out. We had fucking people in, in army fatigues, yep. you know, fuck, fucking guns out and shit um, for like a year after that. It was, it was pretty crazy. But yeah, man, that before that, if, dude, I should have been photographing those fucking prostitutes, man. I would have probably been a little bit further in my fucking career if I had done that. So uh, when did you develop a, a, a passion for photography? Yeah, man. Uh, I feel like it was in high school, just photographing my friends, uh, skateboarding, hanging out, uh, yeah. you know, meeting girls and, and, you know, just being fucking maniacs and like photographing bands at hardcore shows, my friends at hardcore shows, stuff like that. And that, and I mean that it, it turned into a career. I mean, it turned into, yeah. that's, that's how you, I mean, before you were still doing some assisting stuff when I met you, but like that was your main gig before. Yeah. yeah. So I was, you know, traveling around. So in school I was helping my friend Rayon Richards and we would like, you know, we'd go on the road or we fly some fly someplace and, you know, I'd assist him or we would go to some some fucking dopes like recording studio and hang out with Method Man. You know, we'd be photographing Method Man while he's, you know, recording something. And I remember one time we we taped him to a chair like we were holding him hostage. So we taped his arms down, we taped his like torso, his legs, everything. And uh, I think that was actually his idea. He was like, yo, I'm gonna hook you guys up, check this out. You guys are gonna take this tape, take me to this chair. <laughs> like, it was pretty dope. And, um, you know, I made a, I made a, a early quick living photographing or assisting photographing rappers. Mm-hmm. You know, for Vibe or or the other mass appeal. Um, fuck. There was like so many other, these like little, little fucking magazines. They're all gone. I know they're all fucking Everything. gone, man. All those I don't even know. Magazines fucking yeah, I don't know how people off. can make any money in photography right now because of that. But I mean, an editorial rate at that time was maybe a hundred dollars more than an assisting rate. Yeah. So, you know, for the day, a photographer was probably making 300 bucks on an editorial one page um, shoot. And, you know, they still had to have equipment. And remember, this is not digital. No. So we're we're buying film. We have to pay to have it processed. Um, At the time, Rayon and I were in college for this. So at least he can make contact sheets at school and then make the prints at school. And then he basically ha- had to go to the, the magazine's office and drop that shit off mm-hmm. for them. Or, at, and this is, this was my favorite thing is that you keep shooting Polaroid on your RZ six, seven, which is like a considered a medium format camera. And you're shooting the Polaroids and you're basically showing the client, the Polaroids until they say, okay, that one. And then you, you mark that Polaroid, you write how you shot it on the back, you know, you know, my aperture is five, six, I'm shooting at, you know, 250, uh, 250 for frame speed. And then, you know, I have the lights turned up to this and you have to write that down on the Polaroid 
And then you have to just try to shoot that. And then you have to send that Polaroid in to the processor to match the Polaroid. So they're trying to match the Polaroid. Jesus. And so it was this whole thing. So making money at that time was a, was a, a, a real life hustle. And it wasn't healthy because you got all these chemicals. Oh, and, yeah. You know, like you're huffing all these chemicals in all night because it takes all fucking night. And, um, yeah, man, it, it was a hustle and it was, it was fucking rad. It was a lot of fun, man. I had a lot of fun working with Rayon. And then after I graduated, I started, uh, working with this woman, Sarah Friedman and Sarah Friedman is who I would consider to be my mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, not only was she, uh, she was a professor of mine for I think a year and a half, but also like a a really good friend of mine and took me under her wing, showed me how to do things, showed me how to light, showed me how to talk to clients, how to order equipment, how to beg to get some of it comped. Um, and, and just taught me a lot about the business. And dude, we shot like two or three times a week, sometimes on location. So I'd be traveling three days a week. Then through her, I started working for his other photographers, like um, this dude, David Yellen, who was doing like all this like cool rock star shit at yeah. the time. Also a lot, a lot of rap, a lot of hip hop. Um, you know, we ended up branching out, Sarah Friedman did, and we ended up going on tour briefly with Kenny Chesney and photographing him just like playing basketball with his staff That's at cool. the Seattle – uh, I don't know what the football field is called now, but that Seattle like dome where they fucking oh, can yeah, retract yeah. the top. Um, dude, we did everything, man. It was so much fun. And it was so eye-opening. I got to travel America for years being a photo assistant. And it was amazing. I ended up working for somebody that I had looked up to as a kid, this guy, um, Albert Watson, who basically changed – uh, fashion in the nineties. He was photographing Sade and then that whole like Vogue look that Madonna came out with, with like the shoulder pads uh-huh. and that like tapered suit thing. He basically invented that and put that out. Um, interview mag, I think it was interview magazine. I think he was one of the, the founding editors of interview. Oh wow. I'm not really, I'm, I mean, half the stuff we did was fucking, um, for like a cover of interview magazine, but this guy, he had this like five floor building and the bottom floor was just a giant fucking studio, a giant kitchen. And, and when I say a giant studio, I mean, it's like, you know, maybe 2000 square feet of studio, just as just studio. And then the studio was like two stories high two or three stories high, just went straight up. Yeah. And then there was like this garden in the back of the fucking studio that you just look through this like open glass where like, there's like a fucking waterfall going into it. He ended up selling the building and I helped him move. And then when I went up to his living quarters, that was amazing. He had this giant fucking library that I had to personally pack up. And the, the books that he had in there, the journals that he had, I remember I was looking through a journal and it was just Polaroids of him and his wife hiking or in the woods. And it would be a Polaroid taped um, 
into the journal and then it would be a leaf that he taped or, or, you know, put in there to preserve it and, you know, wrote like a little something about that day with him and his wife. I thought it was beautiful. That's fucking cool. And somebody like that, that's a consummate artist that lives it. Even when they're, even when they're not doing this big production, this big creative production, they're still, that, that is just not turned off. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I was very lucky to be able to work with people that I would look up to. And, you know, there's people that I didn't look up to that right. I had to suck it up and fucking yeah. and work for, you know, you got to make money. And then when I first started kind of shooting on my own, it was really, really tough, man. Living invoice to invoice was fucking tough. And like I said earlier, man, I was I was I, I didn't have any money, nothing. You know, I, I lived in Williamsburg in a super cheap apartment with a roommate and I was barely making rent. And it was fucking really, really hard. And, you know, I'm like, hey, I need like X amount of money. Can you pay me in, you know, a week? And I have these magazines or these, you know, like uh, fashion directors or whatever they're fucking called, these producers being like, no, it's 90 days. 90 days. And I'm like, fuck, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I started working as like a barback in Williamsburg. I worked at this place called the Charleston, which is right off the L. Mm-hmm. And man, that was a fucking, that was like a shit show. Um, just bouncers throwing people out, Dukes of Hazard style on their fucking heads. <laughs> Me fucking beating dudes up in the bathroom. <laughs> Having my friends come in because they knew I worked there and I, they kicked the fucking bathroom they, they kicked the toilet uh, off the floor, basically, <laughs> off the bathroom. And then I remember the owner just being like, hey, Rob, um, do you know anything about this? And I was like, I'm working. How would I know anything about this? And they're like, well, um, the bartender was saying that that was your friends. And I was like, well, well who fucking said that? <laughs> and you know, I don't give a shit who fucking hears this. It was this dude, Montana, okay, who's like, some like musician dude that's in Williamsburg too. He, he owns, I think Montana's oh, yeah, yeah. house now, I think. And he fucking, he, he was like, yo, I think it was that guy Rob's friends. And then I don't know if you're going to get this reference or not, but there's this amazing Cleveland hardcore band called one life crew. Okay. And they are just straight up. We're Americans and they made skits about fucking, arresting Mexicans because they were here illegally. They made skits about kicking homeless people in the fucking face, cleaning up America for Americans and shit. And they're, it's a little, little nationalist, a little, little (laughs) but it's the bet. They're the literally the best hardcore band, one life crew. Okay. If you like hardcore, you're going to like them, but, uh, you know, just wouldn't say it's white. It's definitely not white power. Okay, which uh, I'm happy to say, but man, it's very it's questionable. It's some questionable ethics in there. They would not be able to put out records in 2019. (laughs) But uh, I was wearing a one life crew shirt and that fucking dude, Montana, complained about me wearing that fucking shirt. And that dude is forever a bitch. (laughs) If he hears this and he wants to say some shit, he could fucking do that. But that dude's forever a bitch in my fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> this is also I wanted to have you on because like 
you are a liberal dude. Um, and, you know, I see these online things where these dudes who are the conservative will be like, you know, fuck you, pussy. And I'm like, the one thing I know is, no, you can't call Rob a pussy. Oh, you can call him, but, not, but you have to, there's ramifications. There would be a lot of things that would point otherwise. But so I try, Jeb, I, I honestly, uh, you know, I'm going to be 39. I've been seriously trying to soften myself in a lot of ways, um, since then, you know, and one of the ways I do that is, you know, I'm not straight edge anymore. I smoke weed. Yeah. And it's a very, um, it's going to come off really weird, but it's very feminine and it's very, uh, soft. It, it takes the, the hard edge off of me because I don't want it on me anymore. I don't yeah. want to have fucking, you know, slap people in the fucking face or, threaten to slap people in the fucking face you know i don't don't want that in me and i use that as as a as a a tool to kind of tone me down a little bit so i don't know dude i I mean totally i feel you i mean i'm four i'm gonna be 41 in may and i it's a lot of checking myself like a lot of like thoughts come in my head and be like dude what the fuck like how do you still think but, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's there. It's going to be there. It's just how do I? It's a part of me, man. Yeah. You know, that edge is, is a part of me that that ability to just not take any fucking shit and 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 turn it up to level 10 immediately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned that from being in hardcore, from protecting ourselves from actual white power fucking Nazis. Right. Remember, I started going to shows in the fucking right. 90s, man. Oh, yeah. And, you know, at the late 80s, there was there was a lot of fucking white power dudes going to hardcore, a lot of white power skinheads. Dude, they were and still rolling were, around in the 90s, in 2000s. Yeah. I mean, they were coming, they, they would come down from PA down to Baltimore and D.C., down to like yeah. uh, Super Bowl of Hardcore. I remember that was when it really fucking went down. Yeah, it man. Like a bad and, time. You know, bands were, were writing about it. You know, Gorilla Biscuits have a song about it. Fucking Youth of Today has a fucking song about it. And, um, you know, you could see a video of youth of today playing a fucking anti white power fucking song. And there's a bunch of fucking white power Nazis in the venue mm-hmm. and he, and, and the singer literally like went to the front of the stage and sang it at them. Mm-hmm. All right. And those guys are fucking Krishna straight edge yeah. vegetarians, but they were not going to give one single fucking inch to that in their fucking scene, mm-hmm. whether it was their hometown or not. They're not going to fucking give one inch. And, you know, I, if somebody's spewing some fucking bullshit in front of me, uh, I'm, I'm going to fucking call it out mm-hmm. immediately. I'm not going to wait till I get home and write something on the Internet. No. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to fucking get in, in somebody's face like immediately, if not sooner. Um, you know, for example, you know, no white power people are coming around me at this age. But with my son, man. I'm very defensive and I was in Martha's Vineyard um, and my son was just climbing on a tree and at this time he's like just turned five years old. He's climbing on a tree in Martha's Vineyard in a park and I hear this guy across the street be like, excuse me, excuse me and I just kind of ignore it and then here, this is what actually got me mad. Uh, you'll see my response in a second, but he crossed his fucking street 
to come over here and be like, excuse me, is this your son? And I'm like, oh, yeah, man. And he's like, can you tell him not to climb on the trees? He's going to break a, a branch off. I go, oh, okay. Hey, why don't you get the fuck out of here? He's a little kid climbing a tree. Why don't you fuck off? And then he just like looked at me and put his head down and he turned around. And I was like, yeah, fuck right off. Get the fuck out of here. Telling me to tell a five-year-old not to climb a fucking tree. Get the fuck out of here, man. And I'd, I'd turn that shit on immediately. And people don't know what to do because what, what did he think was going to happen? Like I was going to be like, oh, okay, this thing that grows out of the fucking ground from a fucking seed that's been here for 20 fucking plus years, that's probably older than me. And my 35, 40 pound son climbing on a giant branch, like that's, that's going to ruin this tree. Dude, if that tree breaks because of my 40 pound son, there's something wrong with the tree. Mm-hmm. So get the fuck out of here. You know, well, and, I, I don't I, think people understand what, what they're doing is fucking aggression. Oh, 100 percent passive aggressive. Yeah, and it's and, like, and, I would rather just be aggressive. Right. And that, I, I feel exactly the same way, uh, you know, and especially when people are, you know, there, there probably wasn't any danger to your kid, but like when they, when they start to point that towards your loved ones, it's, yeah, I get it. It's like, like fuck there, man. it's zero to a hundred. <laughs> yeah. It's, I've definitely told you this story before, but you know, I, I already set up how, how sweet and, and, and nice my wife is. I mean, you know, Lexi, she's yeah, yeah, great. For real. And, um, you know, we were, we were regulars at five leaves, you know, four or five times a week we were going there. And our son had just been born and I'm, I'm around the corner of five leaves and I've got him in, in, um, his stroller and I'm just walking around cause he's taking a nap and all of a sudden I get a text from Lexi and she's like, Hey Rob, this guy is accusing me of cutting him in line at the coffee window in five leaves. And I'm like, Hey, you just cut me. And he's just like blowing me off and basically being like, no, you cut me. And he's being a dick. And now I don't have a wife that starts trouble. So when something like that happens, I'm like, oh shit, somebody's actually being a dick to my nice wife. So I fucking walk up to this guy with a baby stroller and I'm like, hey man, like you got a fucking problem over here with my fucking nice ass wife? And he's like, oh yeah, I think there was miscommunication. I'm like, oh, it's miscommunication all of a sudden. Right. And my wife at the time is like, no, he's being a fucking dick. And he's like, no, 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 it's miscommunication because he's obviously seeing that I'm on level 10. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, man? Come around the fucking corner with me and we'll fucking – and we can have a talk about it. And he was like, uh, I don't think it has to go to that level. And I go, yo, man, I don't think you have a fucking choice. This isn't something I'm asking you to fucking do. I'll drag your fucking ass over there and I'll beat you the fuck up in front of five leaves. And then, you know, that then Lexi, you know, being like, um, okay, okay, all right, all right, let's, uh, you know, let's like be cool. And then the people, a couple of people that we knew that work in there came out and they're like, you know, Rob, what's up? It's like, yo, this fucking guy. And, uh, so the guy ended up buying us our whole fucking breakfast. <laughs> I actually remember like the week this happened. Cause I remember yeah. like you being just hot still, maybe like three days later. <laughs> And you know what? The dude had a bomber jacket and he had a shaved head and he had creepers on. Yeah. And I, and I was like, yo, I was like, is this guy trying to pull like some fucking like skinhead shit on me? Like trying to like intimidate me with like this shit. And I was like, I don't, I don't fucking know. And like, 
but he ended up like being like, oh, hey, hey guys, I bought your meal. Like, sorry about earlier. I was like, oh, all right, you know. But you know, like I, I'll I'll take it there. I'll take it to that level. And you know, sometimes it fucking backfires, and and sometimes it fucking doesn't. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and, and it's you know it's it's one of those things now too where it's like, it's for me it's always been a defense of others thing, and then now I'm like okay that like, I'm married. There's someone that that relies on me like i i can't a get shot and i can't b go to <laughs> yeah exactly like i can't like if i go to fucking prison like you know when i was single i still say i was like i never fucking i didn't care i really didn't yep. care like i didn't give a shit what happened to me and then i got locked up thanksgiving eve and missed thanksgiving when sarah and i were i think i don't know if we were married yet or not i think we were married yeah we we're definitely married and yeah. uh I was, I remember I feel how, how fucking terrible I felt in jail. And I was like, I never felt like this in jail before. Like I couldn't sleep. Yeah. You know, normally I'd go in, I'd pop my shoes off, put them on, put it on my head and go right to sleep. And then I was like, this is, this is different. And then it was yeah, like, it I sucks, can't do man. this anymore. It sucks. All right. We're taking a pause. Cause I got to piss and only about halfway through, do I think. Do it. Get it. Hey Lex, how you doing, babe? Hmm? Do a little work. Yeah, going in late. I'm in like have some market trouble thing. Oh, cool. So, I I'm feeling I don't want to do that. What do we got going on for this evening? So you know I, I teach four thirty, five thirty tonight. I do. I forgot. That's right. Will you meet me at the gym grab Av. what time are you going over 4 30 so i mean i'll bring him that's no big deal what are you going to check him off the door yeah yeah okay yeah just bring him the door and then we'll go ahead all right cool um i'm like this yeah is there all right Yo, what up? This is, this is like, remind me not to fucking drink a giant cup of coffee before. All right. So we talk about, obviously, like, you know, aggression, things like that, jail, and this is a good segue. So you're, you've been in New York a while, and like you said, you, you know, you've done enough stuff, and you get nailed with something that's, that you were there, you didn't do, but you go to prison. So yeah. how was that? Like, talk about that point in your life. Yeah, it was really hard. So it was actually what happened was I um, so this cool band that I was friends with um, got signed to this like bigger kind of hardcore indie label. And I actually photographed their whole layout and I actually put together their whole layout um, for their for their big like, you know, first release. And they had like a big hype around them. They were kind of like this new metal-y kind of band. And so I shot that like I think two months after graduating college. And then a couple months later, they had this big show in Connecticut. <clears throat> and it was a friend of ours' birthday. And after the show, we were all going to get on this bus and go to the casino and just wild the fuck out. And, you know, we were, I was living, man, I was living hard as fuck at that time, you know, like Roadhouse style. Except not Patrick Swayze, like all the bad guys. <laughs> Were you drinking? Okay? Like, no, no, oh, no. straight oh, okay. edge. Okay, he's just straight edge. Yeah, 
And, you know, I, I think there's a there was a balcony at this show and I was trying to kick a chunk of the balcony over um, even even though people were there leaning on the fucking railing. Uh, I was taking garbage cans and putting it over people and kicking the garbage can over <laughs> shit, dude. I mean, just crazy shit. We, a friend, a friend of mine and I kicked a hole through the bathroom wall straight into the bar that night. And, uh, that night I was supposed to collect some money from the band and they were kind of a friend of mine, the contact that I had in the band was kind of giving me a hard time and I kind of got in his face outside and I had gotten pretty hyped up from that confrontation and we were inside and some dude just kind of was from my point of view at that time was trying to start a fight with a, a friend of mine and went over there, kind of split it up or whatever. But at that time, more people started getting involved and a bunch of people beat this dude up pretty bad. And unfortunately for me, when I went over there, it looked like I was a part of it. And now I had already been arrested for several other assaults in my life uh, prior to that. And so it just, it didn't matter, man. I was there, uh, you know, and, and got caught. That's it. And because of the damages that were on this kid at the time, uh, it was basically first degree assault, which is basically used like a weapon. Right. It's like one step below like assault with a deadly weapon. And it carried a 12 year fucking term, man. And they were trying to plead me down to like six years and then get me three years. And I was like, yo, man, I'm not, I'm not fucking taking this. And so we went on fucking trial, like OJ Simpson style, dude, like jury selection, fucking people lying on the stand. My lawyer who my lawyer was so dope. He was this fucking sick power lifter. Uh, I remember him like hanging off the side of his fucking chair, just being like, are you kidding me with this? Like, <laughs> you know, like, and it was, it was surreal. And I actually had a hung jury, one juror. Um, basically couldn't make up her mind. And when we pulled the jury, the rest were not guilty. And that was a, that was a really hard reality for me. And we were like, okay, maybe they won't have a retrial. And they fucking had a retrial. And when that retrial was scheduled, they added several new charges, one of them being conspiracy to commit assault, which means basically if I had any contact with anybody that had committed the assault, then I am within that conspiracy net. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn. So if I go on trial, they're going to get me, which is going to give me this huge fucking sentence, man. Life changing. Like and I those be, conspiracy I charges fucking run long sentences. Yeah. hundred percent, you know? And so, uh, I was like, fuck man, like, what am I going to do? And then we ended up getting a year in prison and they tried to give me 10 years of probation. And now I had already been on probation since I was like 15. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, yo, man, probation, they, they just try to catch you slipping. That's it. And I was like, yo, knock that down to five and I'll take that right fucking now. And they were like, what? And I was like, if you knock that down to five years of probation, I'll take this today. And I didn't tell anybody that I was going to prison. None of my friends knew. My girlfriend at the time, she kind of knew, but 
I was just like, I mean, you, you know, my, my friend Mike came with me to court and I was like, I was still even lying to him. I was like, yo, afterwards, let's go to the diner. We'll get some food. We'll chill out a little bit. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool. And then I just went up there and they're like, blah, blah, blah. How do you plead? And I was just like, you know, I, I pled no contest or no low, whatever it's called. And uh, boom, just took me away. And it was it was fucking crazy, man. Um, you know, I'm in like a eight by ten cell, and as the days and remember, I was the first fucking case. So this happened at nine a.m., and I had to fucking sit in that fucking cell where every hour there was like three or four more people going in there, with like thirty fucking people by the end of that day, and it was fucking it sucked, man. Um, getting you know, getting in the ice cream truck with fucking like 10 other people that you're handcuffed to motherfuckers on the other side are like screaming and yelling to let them out and, you know, getting fucking a bunch of naked, getting lie thrown on you and then fucking hosed off of you and shit. Um, you know, it was, it was tough, man. And, uh, you know, I was lucky at the time I was like maybe 200 pounds. I had been fucking like just every other day, just deadlifting as heavy as I could possibly fucking deadlift. So I was a little bit fucking yoked, I believe is the word <laughs> I would use. Um, so much so, my bad. Uh, so much so that uh, when I got out of prison, my friend, my friend Bill, he was like, "Oh, you have a neck." <laughs> <laughs> so I went in. I went in at like two hundred pounds, and I came out at like one hundred and seventy pounds, shredded. And, uh, yeah, so it, it was tough, man. Jail was the hardest part. I got the flu. Um, we were down 23 and one in a fucking dorm means 23 hours. Uh, we're just in that room and we have one hour where we would just get a chance to walk around, which chance they didn't even let us out of that fucking room. They just were like, all right, you got, you got an hour. And I would just fucking just be doing like a hundred burpees hundred push-ups, a hundred squats, a hundred jumps, like just trying to get it in as fast as I fucking can. Sometimes I would look over at night and these little Mexican dudes on top bunks were doing sit-ups and shit in their bunk. And I ended up going to this prison, uh, in Enfield, Connecticut, because this is where this whole thing happened, um, was in Danbury, Connecticut. So I went to Enfield and dude, that place was sweet. Um, you know, I, I caught a little bit of beef in the dorms. Um, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And then we were, when I was in a cell, we had keys to our own cells and what we had, what was called a, a dry cell, meaning that there was no toilet or water in the actual cell, but there was toilet and water at the end of our tier. So the tiers were locked down. And then your door had to be shut and locked. And then when it was, you know, that's when it was count. And then when you were not on count, but you were not out on rec, um, you can just kind of, you can't hang out in the hallway, but you can kind of like walk around, go to the, go to the bathroom, take a shower, go back to your cell, kind of read and shit like that. Some people will go out into the hallway and do push-ups or, you know, whatever. But that was pretty, I mean, it sucked, you know, no lie. It's, it sucked no matter what, but you know, I fucking, we played volleyball. I learned how to play fucking handball. Um, there was a weightlifting club. 
there was a like a fitness club and I was one of the fucking instructors at one point. Yeah, oh man, yeah. Um, but you know, I was I was locked down with fucking straight up murderers, dudes that fucking kidnapped women and fucking killed them and kept them in fucking trunks, people that killed people and buried them, um, people whose girlfriends killed somebody and then they helped, you know, move the body, so they ended up getting accessory and like you know, I was down with some some fucking some serious fucking people, man. There was some child molesters in there and shit. Um, you know, I fucking had to headbutt some dude in my fucking cell, you know, so the fucking COs wouldn't see it. And then I had to fucking try to rush him into his cell at one point. Um, or else I was afraid he was going to try to fucking stab me when we were on rack in the yard and shit. Um, you know, uh, to this day in Enfield, I'm still, still friends with my, who was my celly at this, at this time, his name's AZ. And, um, you know, he was in for, for, you know, selling drugs. And when he told me about how he did it, I was like, damn, like, cause I'm not really like a, a criminal minded person right. in any way. But man, the shit he was telling me that he had to do like fucking, well, what was one of them? He had a, he would buy big hot tubs. And then he would stuff all the guts um, of the hot tub. He would stuff with weed, just bricks of it. And then he would rent an 18-wheeler and just ship it to people like they were buying hot tubs. And I'm like, damn, it! I would have never fucking thought of that. And, uh, you know, just like friends of friends or people that you hook up one time or another, um, fucking snitched him out, man. Yep. Yeah, you had to do seven fucking years off some weed. Off some fucking weed, Jeb. I yeah. buy weed all the time and smoke it every day in California. In a goddamn store. It's crazy. You know, so uh, it, it was a fucking, it was a thing, man. And it was hard having a, a relationship. I was in a long-term relationship and it definitely put a lot of uh, stress on it. So much so that when I got out and my, my life had changed, my, my attitude, my, I switched my brain mm -hmm. and I appreciated everything that I was allowed to do every single day. And this person that I was with at the time, she just, she couldn't make that change, man. Yeah. She could make that change with me. And so I had to move on, you know, it's a weird, yeah. I mean, like, again, I, you know, I didn't go to prison. I, the, you know, it's the way you describe that. It's one of those weird things that. Like, I remember I, I, my agreement with my lawyer was like, I'll do two years. That's it. Anything over that, I'm out. I'm going to fucking go to Mexico. Like I'm done. I, no, yeah. I can't do it. Um, and same thing. I got five years probation, eight years suspended sentence. Oof, and, the uh, suspended sentence thing, man, is where yeah. they fucking get you. Cause my probation officer daily was trying to fucking catch me. I had to and... piss test three times a week in, in Baltimore <laughs> yeah, city. Fool, in this Baltimore fool was city. always trying to give me a piss test. And I was like, yo man, I don't do drugs. You're not right. going to catch me slipping, man. It, yeah, I mean, I, I just remember like, and I remember going to the 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 probation office and and parole office in Baltimore City was across from an elementary school, and so the elementary school kids would sell their piss to everyone on parole and probation. <laughs> so you would just go to the fucking stand outside. The kids would sell their piss. I mean, it's fucking eight year old kids. Yeah, like it was fucked up. It was real, and it was. But yeah, man, I just remember like nobody knew. Like I was like, I'll if I do this, I'm, my mom would you know my mom somehow had found out that I got charged. You know, she, I was like, nobody came, nobody was coming to my trial. Like nobody, if I, if I went down, I was like, I don't want anyone to know. I just want to go in. I want to do time and like, I don't want to yeah. bother everybody. 
but it's this weird it's a weird fucking thing to look back on and be like oh that was a ba- i think the 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 time waiting to find out what was going to happen was the fucking worst time of my life that because i think it was about a year yeah. maybe a year plus of like getting initially arrested I and mean, i had a 25 year sentence was the was the the plea Damn. that's what they were trying and the judge would even looked at me he's like well, are you guys fucking did you go to law school like this is ridiculous it was a fight but yeah, I remember thinking like this is that was that was what fucked me up the most. I think was waiting. Yeah, I mean the same thing happened to me. This this incident happened um, in two thousand four, and then I didn't have trial until two thousand six, and then I didn't go to prison until two thousand nine. Fuck. And it's like at that time between twenty four and twenty nine. I'm literally a different person. Totally. And so it's, it's hard. You gotta, you know, if you, if you're going to do the crime, you you gotta do the fucking time. Yeah. And and that's, that's the reality of it. Um, and you know, I was considered short in prison. I got one year, I'm just passing through and I had to, I had to respect the fact that some dudes that wasn't my home Mm -mm. and some people that's, that's their home and that's all they have. And every, every night they probably go to sleep with a tremendous amount of regret of things that they could have done, gone and done differently. And there's not a single day that goes by that I don't think about prison to keep me going in the direction that I'm going, to keep me thinking the things that I think, to keep me uh, true to the person that I changed to become, the effort that I put in mentally to change my perception of the world and my perception of myself. I don't need to be this person that's choking dudes out in the fucking street. I'm not invincible. Somebody's going to choke me the fuck out. Somebody's going to end up shooting me. Somebody's going to fucking stab me. There's people that have pulled knives on me mm-hmm. before this shit. You know, uh, there's people that have fucking pulled guns on, on my friends. I've seen my friends get stabbed. All right. My girlfriend in 1998, her twin sister, her twin sister's boyfriend, we were at a fucking party that we were going crazy at. It was just a house party. We were taking bottles and throwing them straight in the fucking air. And they were just raining down on, on people. It was just madness, just ridiculousness. And the, there was like security that was there. And we were fucking as high school kids. And we're just out of high school kids. We were beating the fuck out of security guards on a regular basis. Um, you know, that, that's like a thing in hardcore. If you are going to step yeah. in this realm against us, there's going to always be more of us. And we got less to lose. And, that, and I carried that with me everywhere I went, no matter where I was. So we're at a house party and these guys are trying to throw us the fuck out. And we're like, nah, man, we're throwing you out. And they just stabbed my friend right in the fucking chest, collapsed his lung. Um, every time his heart was beating, blood was shooting straight out of his fucking chest. Um, so my friend John had to come up behind him and, and ball up his shirt and put it on his chest and just bear hug him and just stand there until the ambulance came. I mean, we thought he got stabbed in the fucking heart, man. Mm-hmm. You know, he ended up being okay and everything. But, you know, that's... That's the kind of bullshit. I got a, I got a fucking kid. My life is fucking dope. Um, 
you, you know, my, my wife is very successful. That's why we moved here. And I, I mean, I got a fucking library in my new place now. Yeah. You know, I got a nice Morrissey poster right over here, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, I don't want to get fucking stabbed. But that's it. You know, like I was, I was, I was said it to my wife the other night. I think I even put some on Facebook about it. I was fucking loading the dishwasher the other night and I said, fuck, this is it, man. I get to load a fucking dishwasher. I have a dishwasher. Yes, like I, I have a dishwasher. I get to load it at night and I get to go to bed in my fucking bed. And like, you know, I, I granted, trust me, I, you know, I wouldn't, I'll never regret anything that happened in the past because it led to here. Like I have, yeah. I was given that opportunity to appreciate fucking loading a dishwasher at night. And a lot of people yeah. will never have that. Yeah, man. Every single day I, I go on I fucking, I go to deuce gym in Venice I stand on my fucking hands. Let's talk a little bit about Deuce because yeah, you're out there like Deuce yeah, is like, yeah, and, you know, I've got a ton of fitness friends. Everybody fucking knows Deuce. It's a very yeah. well-known gym. It looks fucking dope. It, there's all kinds of outside shit. You're in Santa Monica. Like talk about that a bit. Yeah, man. So I, uh, I drove by Deuce one day, noticed that there, it was outside, which I, I fucking, I liked. I think that's the appeal. It's outside. And as you drove, you drive by, you see all these kegs, see all these Atlas stones, you see this big rig out there. And somebody like uh, <laughs> this dude Farb walking around in short shorts, like topless, you know, walking around there. He's and, got a um, show coming out, right? I saw like he's got yeah, some kind of like yeah, it's on TV ESPN. Show. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, it's 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 amazing. And then there's these these signs hanging up, and they say you do not have to work out to kick it. And then there's just a fucking uh, a picnic bench a picnic table that's out and we all fucking sit down and we bullshit and then we go work out and then come back over there. We bullshit or bullshit in the office. It's, it's a really cool culture there. And it's something that we were kind of missing a little bit in, in Brooklyn at the time, because the culture there is more of a, a, a nightlife drinking culture. Whereas now in California, it's not that it's actually an active outdoor culture. So for me, it's a little bit of a shift, even though I'm not like a, a nightclub drinking guy, even though I'm not straight edge anymore, I still don't, uh, I'm never going to drink. Yeah. But, um, so it's a mindset change and it's a, it's a, it's a nice change to go to that gym. Now, does it have a bunch of bullshit in it? Just like any other gym? Yeah, of course. You know, um, there's things that could be much cooler, but they're just things that are fucking outpacing a lot of other fucking gyms. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, is that culture of just, you see people there and you're like, fuck man, this is fucking sick. You know, surrounded by a lot of really successful people there too, man. That's a, that's a big thing. I think a lot of people don't like they, they don't, they, they miss like yeah. success breeds success, like hanging out with those people, like everyone kind of lifts them each other up. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. Some of the coaches are really cool. People there are really cool. Um, some of their community events that they have are, are pretty rad. You know, so. Avedon's pretty much a fucking celebrity there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really um, that's a really special part of being there for me. I'm a member there, um, and I would say 50% of it is because of my son. Yeah, because everybody there treats him just uh, just amazing, and that's one thing that I, I, I respect in people. If they treat my son uh, with respect and they and they care for him and um, they help raise him because I, I need everybody to raise my son. Mm-hmm. I don't want some stuck up kid that's never been told no 
by somebody else besides his parents, you know, because if he doesn't know how to take criticism from somebody else, how is he going to make it in the job world when there's a counterpart that's just like, hey, you screwed this up or um, a superior that's like, hey, you can't do this. You like really screwed this thing up. You need to fix it. Um, and he's like, oh, you can't talk to me like that. Like I, I can't allow a young man to come into this world like that. So it's a place where I go and train, but it's also a place where Avedon goes and gets developed as a young man, as a young gentle man, because that's what I'm raising as a gentleman. And this leads right into kind of what really prompted me to, to want to talk to you. So, so we're in this weird time and this, the, the idea of masculinity and what it means and, and the whole thing is, I, I don't know if it's under fire, if people are, um, you know, if men are feeling like they're under attack, I, I don't really, it, to me, it's, it's, it's a weird thing because, um, to me, masculinity was very simply defined and there was, you know, the, the thing that's that are conflated with it of like kind of rape culture. And I'm like that to me, that's not masculinity to me. That's just fucking pieces of shit. Yeah. Um, but you've really adopted, I don't know. It's, it's a fucking cool, um, viewpoint and, and you articulate it really well. Um, and I don't know, just, just kind of talk about that a minute because it's, it's, it, it, it's really impressed me that you can articulate it as well as you have in such small bites on, you know, things like Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. So, you know, I started kind of thinking about femininity and masculinity as a parallel, equal. Uh, I started thinking about that a long, long time ago because I, I don't necessarily think of myself as an overly masculine person. Yeah, I carry myself in a certain way. I have a certain amount of self-confidence. I will open hand slap somebody in the face if they step out of line in person. Um, but at the same time, I, I actually consider myself a lot more feminine. And I remember a while ago, a friend of mine, I went to art school with, and I, I think that that's kind of like an important part that another creative that's an equal to me, um, this, this girl, Amanda was just like, you know, you know what I really like about you, Rob, that you have femininity and masculinity and equal amounts in you. And you let the feminine part speak out and show a lot. And I was actually blown away by that. I had never looked at myself in that light. And then being a CrossFit coach and seeing what kind of people were writing in comments about women that do CrossFit or more muscular women, like, oh, I don't want a dude or like, oh, it looks like too much of a man. And then the idea was in my head, like, well, this person is a, a woman and not making any change to that idea that they're a, a woman. Mm -hmm. And they're just like more muscle on them. But what if that masculine look is their femininity? So what if that femininity is the masculine part of them? Does that make sense? It kind of seems like, yeah. you know, it's like they're not trying to be a man. They're just trying to be like a, a more of a woman. And I started kind of looking at that, especially Kath. Remember Kath from CrossFit yeah, Virtuosity? Yeah. Kathleen Ryan. Yeah. Um, you know, went to the games with, with CrossFit Virtuosity's team. She was the woman that everybody 
made fun of because her deadlift was all fucked up. But what they didn't know was that the bar had been sitting out under the sun all day and it actually burned Burned her hands, her fucking hand and the top couple layers of skin off. So when she was deadlifting and it looked shitty, it was because the skin of her palms were sliding off. Yeah. Okay. So I started kind of looking at her and, and, I was very attracted to her and I, I'm, I think she's super sexy, but she doesn't present herself in that way. She's just a, a muscular woman that's, that has a high level of athleticism. That's feminine. Yeah. There's nothing about that that's not. And I started realizing that all these men, these people were calling themselves men that were looking at that and being so intimidated by that. Well, I can't date a girl that's like that, that's bigger than me. You're not a man. You're, you're something else now. You're, but there's no masculinity in what you're saying because there's no uh, – you're so insecure that a woman might dominate you uh, that you can't even deal with the way somebody's, somebody looks even though somebody's attractive, you're just like, and I get other people might like, you know, real skinny looking women might like, you know, like big boobs, small boobs. I, I get all that stuff. But it was just at that time, it was just universal. I was just seeing people just being like, oh, 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 shoulders are too big. Arms are too big. I don't, I can't have legs bigger than mine. Like a girl, like what? It's like, it's like hugging a man. It's like, oh, is it? Because that that just looks like a woman to me. Right. And uh, so then through that, I kind of started refining myself and how I started viewing women and things that were becoming sexy to me and things that were turning me off from men. And not in like a sexual way, but like I can't fuck with fake masculinity. I can't fuck with that, especially after I came out of prison where literally every person is like an injured dog trying to bark and growl the loudest at all times. And it's so transparent to me. Yeah. Like, dude, please stop faking it. Yeah. This like fake machismo bullshit. And I couldn't be around people like that. I couldn't be around men like that anymore. And I couldn't relate to that anymore. I could only really relate to this feminism this this like softness this uh th- this like feminine side of me and i i decided like to to kind of change that to soften it a little bit i still you know i mean I, I fucking wear all fucking black all day and fucking have shitty facial hair and <laughs> slick my hair back and a little bit wrinklier and and look a little i guess more more manly now like in my older age but Really on the inside, man, like I, I really feel that feminine part. And through being like a, a, a very liberal, progressive Democrat, um, I, I really identify with feminism. Yeah. But not this new feminism that's out right now where we want to put everybody down or demand that there needs to be equality of outcome. Um, that stuff isn't feminism to me. Feminism to me, and it's like, you know, I don't, I don't care, like, some fucking whatever feminist sex worker or something fucking talk shit on me or whatever, but feminism is just equality. I just want, want everybody to be equal and have the equal opportunities, not the 
not equal outcome. All right. I don't personally think that um, if it comes down to a, a, a man or a woman for a job, that just because there's an initiative to hire a woman, that she needs to be hired if she's not qualified for it. Because that's not feminism. Right. That, that's, that's not equality to me. And the same thing, like, and, you know, I don't know if this is like racist or not or, or whatever, but I, I don't think that in terms of like black and white, that that should be the outcome either, especially now. So, uh, and, and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe the black community and, and other um, communities that have, have had less representation here in America, maybe they do need that still. I don't know. All right. I live in Santa Monica now. Right. So I, I don't I don't fucking know. Um, but in, t- in terms of, of being a, a, a real feminist, I'm looking to make sure everything is equal. And when t- I see people that claim to be feminists, most of them are women and they just want to fucking beat men down. And that's not feminism. And then this whole idea of masculinity and toxic masculinity. Well, I started following this podcast called Order of Man. And there's this guy, Ryan uh, Mitchler, I think is his name. And he has, has this definition of masculinity. And I really, really liked it. And I might be paraphrasing it. I might be a little bit off on it. But masculinity is a strength that you use to help others. And I was like, Wow. That could be that leaves it open ended. That means that maybe my wife helping her friends move into a house—that's masculinity. She just she's kind of she's kind of a strong woman. Maybe she, that's it. Or me, uh, you know, just having somebody going that's going through a hard time talk to me, and I can relate to them. I can emphasize with them. That's masculinity. Even it's not this bullshit of like being like strong and putting on a front for other people to recognize you as a man that has nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. that whole thing of like man up it's like i understand what you're saying but maybe the listener doesn't understand what you're what you're saying and maybe you know a conversation is two ways it's not one way so so claiming man up to somebody is not something that i'm okay with anymore all right i tell my son When he's upset, I'm like, hey, I need you to be a man right now. And being a man means being incredibly frustrated all the time, but getting that job done regardless. So that's my moving definition of masculinity and being a man to my son. He was crying the other day because he he was just upset about something and it was an inappropriate time for him to cry. And I said, hey, you need to stop crying right now. This is not something that's worth crying over. I know you're frustrated, but you need to keep working towards your goal right now. This is not the time to be crying. Okay? It's okay to cry. That's perfectly fine. But it's not okay right now. So it's emotional intelligence. Okay? We need more men in this world with emotional intelligence. It doesn't mean being some bitch-ass fucking pussy that's crying all the time and fucking talking with a, a fake fucking lisp and then fucking like you know, all this bullshit that, you know, that, that these insecure little, little people, 
I'm not even call them men. These, these are very little people that are getting so fucking butthurt right now on this whole like attack on men. And some of it is fucking attacking on men, man. I, I, I follow this online account and they were like, hey, you need to go check out this woman. She's a sex worker. For whatever reason, sex workers are ground floor of, of the feminist movement. I don't, I, I don't know. But so I go on this girl's page and she's, and she's like, here's a list of things you can do for Black History Month. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, well, I'm fucking white and I'm a man. Like maybe I can help out. One, give money to people of color and trans people. I was like, okay, um, all right. Uh, okay, I, I'm, let's just move on. I don't understand that one. Two, give sex workers your money. It's like, uh, okay, all right, um, all right, maybe I'm just a little bit out of touch being a white man living in fucking Santa Monica. Number three, if you're white, relinquish your power. And that's where I have to stop because anybody that wants power is somebody that's not to be trusted. I don't want power over anybody. Okay. My wife is a free entity to do whatever she pleases to come and go. There's no, we communicate, we talk everything out, but I do not in any way own her. Uh, you know, she has a, a, a different view on it the other way, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, in no way. I, I don't, I don't own her. I don't own her body. I don't own her mind. I don't own her thoughts. I don't own anything on her. I love her. And because I love her, she's a person that gets to do what she wants to fucking do. We talk everything out. But, you know, so a lot of this stuff that's happening right now in, in this third wave or modern feminist movement is really about gaining power. And anybody that's trying to gain power over you or me or anybody is somebody that's not to be trusted. And a lot of those people are, are going to claim that they're communists. But they forget that the communists killed just as many people, if not fucking more, than Nazis. Mm -hmm. So now we have this alt-right who are, you know, admittedly, fucking a lot of them are, are Nazis or have Nazi um, ideas and, and nationalist and pro-white ideas. But then also, so does the complete opposite side, the alt-left. Even though everybody online wants to argue that there's no, can't be an alt-left. Well, there's a fucking alt-left. Mm -hmm. And those people are claiming to be communists, and I, I, I'm okay without communism. Socialism, yeah, we live in it, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. You know, my fucking roads that I'm able to fucking drive on, I, I paid into a fucking socialist economy for it, and that's fine. You know, um, I, I've used Medicare before because I, I, I had no money, and I needed to have fucking my back looked at because I have a fucking old man fucking spine. And I, I used it before, you know, that's a socialist, uh, that's socialist medicine. But as, as far as a dictator telling us what to do, um, no, no, thank you, man. We, we need to, to get back more to that gray area that I was talking about earlier. And, um, yeah. There was a passage you put from a book and this one had a, a pretty profound effect on me actually. And one of the things I've always admired about you is you have always been super open about like telling your male friends you love them and oh, love yeah. them deeply and like hug them and 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 
this passage was a, a big thing about male love and how so many men we see with the, you know suicide rates climbing amongst middle-aged men and it's as children we tell our male friends that we love each other and i'm paraphrasing this you can correct me if i'm missing this but then as we grow it's like this thing of like oh that's gay and we we separate ourselves from that and we lose yeah. this whole meaningful relationships yeah that women keep they hold on to because that's not it's not taboo for them they keep that that female female relationship but men we lose a lot of this this you know male relationships have to become a hey bro like you know da 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 thing and we lose that really emotional connection that we all had. And, and you know, I look at my my brother, like let's say Special Forces, he keeps that because those yeah. guys are bound by fucking blood. They have to trust each other to go into some fucked up places and do some fucked up shit. But the rest of us, it's it's kind of gone. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a weird thing, man. Um, and again, that's that feminine part of me mm-hmm. that I, I just. I want to include these people in my life. I want them to be around me. I want to make them laugh. I, I don't need to get a leg up on everybody. I don't need to one up on people. I don't need to be better. Um, you know, and it's it's something that I, I I really appreciate as somebody that lost a year of his fucking life. I want to tell everybody that means something to me that I fucking love them and I want to hug them and I want to have contact with them. I want, you know, I, I, I love it, man. My, my son tells me all the time he loves his friends mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll fucking walk and hold hands and it's amazing. And I'm never going to tell him not to do that. Mm-hmm. He kissed a, a, a guy, a guy, he kissed a boyfriend of his on the lips Um, when they were like leaving each other and like gave a hug, I don't fucking care. Um, any parent that's going to have a a problem with that is, is once again, somebody that I don't recognize. That's not, they're just, they don't have this ability to be like, so what if it's gay? That's the thing. That's it, right? So fucking what if it's gay? If it's feminine, I'm not fucking gay. I'm not gay. It doesn't fucking matter. If I was gay, I'd suck somebody's dick. I'd be like, yo, I love you. You want me to suck your dick? Until those words come out of my mouth, I love you in a hug, and that's perfectly fine. Like, I, And it's like that running fucking joke is that people that are like, oh, that's gay. Oh, that's gay. Like people that aren't really saying it like off the cuff, but people that really mean it because there's two different things. Yeah. Like we can call something gay and, and just kind of be like laughing it off a little bit. Or we can call something fucking gay, where we're really like we're we're threatened by it. Mm-hmm. But those people that are threatened by that are probably fucking gay, and afraid to come out. And it's like, yo, man, just fucking come out. Like it's That's a safe it. You're place. gonna be. It's okay. It's 2019. I understand some shit literally just happened to to a famous actor two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who is? I think he's gay and he's black. Okay, and he just got beat the fuck up um, and bleach and shit poured on. It was fucked up. But you're literally like nobody fucking cares. And the people that do care will fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck off. Yeah. Right? A lot of people don't like me and I don't need them to like me. And it's the same thing. But the problem is, is that you can get like a gang of these people together. But the But the thing is, is that, okay, well, why don't you – as a gay man, 
get a gang of fucking gay gay dudes together and and fucking get a baseball bat and when somebody fucking does that shit you crack them over the fucking head because then all of a sudden all these things that are happening in in that an isolated community are, are going to go down probably significantly and and that's something that a lot of people probably don't think of that maybe violence is the answer in in these situations maybe these people should get their fucking heads kicked in maybe you know somebody calls me gay in the fucking street and i am fucking gay but i do jujitsu and i'm like hey why don't you come over here and suck my fucking dick and i shoot a double and i break this guy's fucking arm and then i spend the next couple of minutes kicking their fucking head in okay it's tough but you know what man Probably this guy's friends that probably feel the same way gonna think twice. Uh, you know that's why I'm not for a, a gun-free school zone because as soon as these fucking people go into shoot go into to shoot up a fucking school and start getting shot back at, they're probably gonna think about doing that next time. You know, but back to even fucking school shooters, man. Maybe some hugging uh, and telling that person that they're okay. It's okay to have these feelings that you have, but I love you anyways. Um, maybe a couple of those could have prevented a school shooting. But most of those school shootings, they're on, they're on SSRIs, but nobody wants to fucking like talk about that kind of fucking medication and how it, it manipulates your brain to do these crazy violent acts. And guns don't necessarily convince people to fucking go go shoot other people. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's you know my last guest, Sean. I just put up our podcast we had up today or yesterday, and uh, this dude's super straight laced. Never he has drinks every once in a while, but never did drugs. And he's recently moved to uh, Austin a few years ago, and he's the content director on it. And uh, he started experimenting with hallucinogenics and talking about these kids like, you know, these little things like hugs or or insight or self-awareness. It's just lost. Yeah. And it gets worse. But I think I think that 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 whole thing that you just talked about, that the entirety of of the way you look at raising your son and I, I, I'm not parents, so I don't know, but I, I hope <laughs> I really do hope that everybody looks at raising their child with that much thought with that much insight because whether their, their ideas are different than yours or the right or the wrong or whatever, if someone's putting that much thought into how to create a better human being or the next generation of better human beings, it, 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 it can't go completely wrong i mean just like i i, I always say i always laugh with sarah because i'm like i really like i love watching your instagram because i love the way you you and avidon i mean just it's so like and anyone if you follow rob on instagram like his stories like my biggest most favorite thing in the world to watch on instagram is you throwing shit at avidon's face <laughs> in the grocery store yeah, but it's like this playful like like, yeah. like that like i don't see a lot of parents that because i know that a lot of them are stressed and all this but play is so fucking important and That's we're losing it. That's how children learn. Children don't learn anything else unless it's through the lens of play. 
And I don't know when that ends. I don't think that it ends because now like the way I teach people is, is through play. The way I've learned so much about myself in the past year and a half, two years has been fucking putting on pajamas or some fucking, you know, spandex and going and wrestle, wrestling around with my buddies. Yeah, man. It's dope. It's, it, jiu-jitsu is it's play, you know, even though it's very serious and there's all this, at the end of the day, we're fucking having a good time. We're goofing around yeah. and we're playing like, and I'm remember, learning they, so much. You, you call it playing jujitsu. You're a jujitsu player. And, and that's, that's what it is. You're just wrestling with some, some guys that, you know, and it sucks that fucking ego right it's gone. out of you. That's why I have my son. I have Abaddon in jujitsu now. Because I want that ego choked out of him. Mm-hmm. I want him to know immediately, if not sooner, he is not invincible. Somebody can come up behind you and choke you. And if you tap, they might not fucking let go. Yeah. All right? Somebody might fucking know more jujitsu than you. And if you try to bully that person, you're going to get fucked up. And, and in you the know, street, I, it's their choice of what oh, to yeah. stop. It's no longer yours. Yeah. So I actually allow my son to watch UFC fights with me and we talk about them because it is real life with real life consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some parents are blown away by that, but I'm blown away that there isn't something that brings your kid back to reality after watching hours of cartoons. Yeah. There's nothing real about cartoons. I need my son to be grounded in reality. Like we still play around and fucking play pretend and chase each other and fucking play characters and and he talks to me, but he's always asking me, hey, are hey, is this real? Hey, is this real? Are werewolves real? Vampires real? What about zombies? Is that real? And I have to be like, no, none of that's real. But I have to spin it in a way where he might think that he can be imaginative like that. So he's learning how to read and write right now. And I was like, hey, you know, you basically only need a little bit more skill in your reading and a little bit more skill in your writing. Guess what you can do? You can write a book. He's like, I can write a book? I was like, yeah, man, you could write a book. He's like, how? So just make it up. He's like, what do you mean make it up? I'm like, whatever you think about in your head, just write it and just put it out as a book. And he's like, What? I'm like, yeah, that's what people do. And so now when he asks me if something's real because we just watched, you know, like a scary movie or something, and I'm like, oh, no, man, somebody just made that up in their head and they just wrote it and somebody paid him money. It's like, you can just write, make up stuff in your head, write it down, sell it. He's like, oh, so I got to keep him in reality. But But it's kind of cool that you can think about things like that, because like in reality, that that's something that that I don't even think about. Like, Yeah. yeah, it's just. Like you just got to fucking, you can write, is this just it? Is, is it real? No, but it is. It came out of this person's head and now it is real. Now it's this thing in a book yeah. and, and it's simple, but fuck it's, that's cool as shit. <laughs> like when you yeah. think about it, that's fucking cool. And to me, that's masculinity. That's the masculinity I'm trying to, to show him is that let's be creative. Let's, you like trucks and crashing them and having guys fucking get run over by your your fucking trucks and sword fights and shit like awesome do that stuff learn from that but maybe when you get older write about that 
Like, let's be creative. Let's, let's find out what your creative outlet is. Okay. You want to be a blue collar worker? Dope. Good. He's told me he wants to drive a UPS truck when he's older. I was like, awesome. That's great. That's a fucking job. People, people retire with awesome fucking retirement packages with that. Dope ass 401k, good retirement, good insurance, you know, and what, why not allow, allow him to, to want to do that. Um, but that, that's the stuff that I'm trying to do with my son. And I don't know if other parents do stuff like that. I don't know if other parents even think about that, but I, I can't worry about, you know, what, what other fucking stupid parents, the worst thing about me being a parent is other stupid parents. <laughs> That's the worst thing about being a fucking parent. It's other other fucking parents do. I used to think about what you were doing when you were walking around in McGorlick Park with some of those people yeah. in Greenpoint. <laughs> Dude, the people out here with their kids are it's oh, worse, it's man. Worse. Just fucking oh, yeah. just in fucking just in a different fucking world. So and you know, one thing that I, I talked about in, in those posts sometimes that I, I, I write about masculinity is school because school is not made for boys. School's made for girls because girls can sit down and focus longer. And one thing that I, I posted was uh, this, this girl ended up going to college and being um, you know an AP student in high school and had like a, an amazing grain point average in, in college and graduated top of her class. But what she did was she took her and her friends and they made it a contest between themselves to do really good in school. And now what happened to the boys were that they were beaten down for so long that by the time they got to high school, they just didn't care about school because school didn't care about them. And there's nothing but research and data to support that. By the time a boy reaches fourth grade, his interest in math drops like a lot. There's a significant difference in math scores between boys and girls at this age. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head the, the age, but there's a significant reading and writing difference between girls and boys uh, by the time they get to, I think, middle school. And that's because there's these little things that start happening in school one by one that start adding up against boys. Now, for instance, this is happening in my son's school right now, McKinley Elementary School in Santa Monica. Kids are not allowed to play tag. That's ridiculous. So I'm willing to bet that 99% of the people playing tag are boys. Probably. Willing to bet. Okay? Maybe like one or two girls run around in there once in a while. But they're not allowed to play tag because A, they're going to get hurt, and B, they might push somebody and start a problem, which are two things that kids need. They need to get hurt in order to, to dust themselves off and be able to get the fuck back up and continue on with their life. All right. And two uh, is that their conflict resolution, their problem solving skills uh, between each other are going to suffer if they can't get into an argument and then just figure it out between themselves because the kids aren't fucking doing that, man. It's fucked up. And we're going to end up having kids that don't know how to act 
correctly in a work environment. Okay. There's only so many startups that tech bros are going to be able to have. Okay. And that all these people graduating and going through our school system right now are going to be tech bros. Okay. Some of them are just going to be regular fucking like cogs in the wheel at some shitty corporate fucking office job. And they're not going to be able to deal with authority and the chain of command and getting into an argument with their, with, with their, you know, lateral partner that's, uh, that's trying to do the same thing they're doing and work it out. Well, fuck you. And then that's it because they don't know how to deal with it because the school has taken away their ability to do that because parents have also taken away their ability to do that. Um, sometimes when, when Avedon will be like wrestling with his friends, uh, at the park and like, I'll see like the parents see it and they'll try to break it up. And I'm like, Hey, hey let, let them, let them wrestle. They're kids, they're boys. Let it just let them wrestle. Yeah. The, the phrase boys will be boys is an actual fucking thing. I'm not going to cut that out of vocabulary. Right. Boys being boys is not rape. No. Okay. If somebody, if a, if a dude rapes a chick, that's not boys being boys. That's fucked up. That guy has a problem. Okay. And probably needs to be subtracted from our society in one way or another. Okay. Nobody's down with, with rape. Rape culture is not cool. Um, if you watch that 10 Bundy documentary, the whole town showed up happy that this guy was going to prison. Nobody was cool with this guy raping and killing women. Right. That's, that's, I saw that and I was just like, what the fuck is everybody talking? Nobody's cool with it. <laughs> There's nobody. And the people that are cool with it are the outliers in society that are criminals. I'm not a criminal. I'm not cool with people that I know raping somebody or sexually assaulting somebody or pressuring somebody into sex. Nobody's okay with that. Okay. So let's take that off the table. But boys will be boys. Girls and boys, they can wrestle. I don't really see it too much. Navadon's friend group. Girls wrestle. I've never seen two girls uh, that are, are young just like wrestling for fun. So that's a boys, that's a boys club thing. That's what boys like to do. Okay? Yeah, there's outliers that girls that fucking wrestle. I mean, there's fucking Olympic judo fucking uh, gold medalist who's going over to MMA. Um, every girl in MMA, right? Those are all outliers. They're 1% of 1%. But boys will be boys. Boys want to fight and boys want to wrestle. That's a part of being masculine. That's him expressing his masculinity and what his DNA and what his body wants. We're just stupid animals doing stupid animal shit. And that's how they learn. And I think the suppression of it is actually a, a big contributor to a lot of stuff that goes oh, on and yeah. you when you take that and tell a boy that this part of him is bad and needs to be removed it's going to come out in another way yeah and it's, it's and it's a fucking pressure cooker it's a pressure cooker where it's just inches at a time and it's a game of inches all right you tell these kids these boys you can't play tag oh, okay well i'm not wanted at this school maybe no those exact words aren't coming out but that's there and now in first grade, maybe they get caught doing something else, playing tag again. And now because they're a little bit older, the teacher, whose chances are female, is going to be a little tougher on them. Okay, now you need to go sit down. Now you don't have recess anymore. Now you can't run around and burn that energy out. Okay? And now this person is labeled as a troublemaker. Second grade comes. Same thing. But now he's building up a little resentment. Now he's talking back to the teacher a little bit. 
And now he doesn't want to do his second grade homework anymore. Okay? And now by third and fourth grade, we're seeing this, this difference in grade scores and learning and wanting to participate in these things. Okay? And it's because of little, tiny, incremental uh, assaults on little boys. You know, you know why kids don't want to sit down in school? Because they're not supposed to be sitting down. They're kids. <laughs> it's true. It's you know, true. especially boys. It's you an industrial solution to a problem that does not exist. Yeah. It's just fucking. And, and I, I, I have to, you know, I, I, I talked to him about it. He told me actually in the car yesterday, he was like, hey, I got to tell you, I got in trouble for playing tag again. And I said, listen, Abaddon, go play tag. I'm going to stick up for you, okay? They tell you not to play tag, just go back to playing tag, okay? And then I'm going to come down there and I'll stick up for you. I want you to know that I'm your father and it's something like that and you get in trouble, I do not care. There's laws that are meant to be broken and there's rules that are meant to be broken. And that's one of them. It doesn't make sense to me. Probably doesn't make sense to any other fucking parent, but it makes sense to the school because they want to cover their ass. But guess what? I don't give a shit about what the school fucking says because I'm going to support my son and he's going to know for the, his whole life that I support him. My job as a parent is not to tell my son what to do. It's to help him discover what he can do. That's my job as a parent. I'm just a helper. I'm not like somebody that controls him. I'm not a controller. I'm a helper. Hey, you know what? If you do that, you might get hurt. Go do it anyways. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's my fucking job. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, uh, if you put a key in that um, in that light socket, you're going to die. So you can't do that. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's stuff like that. Hey, you can't run face first through this fucking screen door because you're going to break the screen. It's just... That shit. He he doesn't know any of those things because he's a kid. He's a blank fucking slate. Um, so that that's that's really the process of how these kids are getting beat down. There was uh, an example where there was no, where was some school of, of, I want to say Minneapolis, Minnesota, that didn't allow kids to throw snowballs at each other, and the kids that threw snowballs. Uh, I think they got like a day suspension. And these were like second graders and third graders. And the whole community came around and was just like, no, no fucking way. You're going you're gonna to create this systemic buildup of these kids resenting school. And it's going to have a direct effect on their, gradua- their graduation rates, on their level of education, and what they care about afterwards, right? Because, you know, somebody does bad in school, what, what opportunities are they really going to have outside of it, right. right? I'm a big proponent of secondary education, going to college after school, um, if, if only to learn how to decipher information. Mm-hmm. So if you take these kids and something like throwing a fucking snowball at each other, which is totally harmless, totally fun. Who cares if a kid gets hit in the side of the head and their ear swells up? So what? So what? And, and these adults, these baby boomers, 
chances are these people are baby boomers, are the biggest plague on this fucking earth. <laughs> baby boomers are the biggest plague on this fucking earth. They're disgusting. They, they, they depleted our natural resources, ran up the deficit so fucking high, and they, they created this issue. I honestly think that this whole nerfed world that they're trying to create is because they just grew up so fucked up, the baby boomers did, that they're trying to just walk it back a little bit. But they're fucking it up for this next generation. They fucked it up for me too. You know? So we, we knowing that, and you know, I'm not, I, I can't change an entire fucking school system, man. You know, but knowing that I have to be there for Avedon, I have to be that light in his life to help him, to talk to him, to go through it, not to get mad at him. Okay. Because that's just going to oppress him. I don't want to oppress him. I want to open him up. He's already shy enough. I need to open his world up to everything. I need him to it, to have these experiences. And if he has those experiences, he has good male role models in his life as well as good female role models. He's not going to be some fucking rapist. He's not going to be some uh, some uh, some fucking degenerate slapping women around. And he's going to not be a school shooter. I just need him to be a gentleman. That's it. That's my job. Gentleman. Educated. Can, has, has an imagination and can decipher information. And that, that's, that's really the opposite of what schools are building these young men up to be. You know? I think we came I mean, full this, circle there, man. I think we, we started with the <laughs> idea of gentlemen, and I think we came back to it. All right, so we're going to start closing up, but I, I got to do my little thing. So I did this little, the little I stole from uh, Actor Studio, that show, James <laughs> Lipton. So it's like 10 questions. And uh, I just like this. It's a fun little way to kind of close it out. Um, so first question, what is your favorite non-curse word? <sighs> favorite non-curse word? Damn, man. I mean, from both fucking curse words. <laughs> I'd probably say like some, some silly like love. Love. What's I your least favorite in... word? Least a favorite word. Probably toxic masculinity. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? What turns me on creatively is other creative people pushing boundaries, just uh, being fun. Um, yeah, probably other creative people and seeing their process. I love the creative process. I love seeing other people go through it or tell me about their creative process, stuff like that. Like even seeing you like doing a, a, a podcast, I'm like, damn, like, oh, he's got like, like nice mic. He's got a headphone. We're just doing this over <laughs> Skype. Like, this is pretty dope, man. Like, good, good for Jeb. Like, this is sick. Like, I'm, I'm inspired by you right now, man. This is awesome. Awesome. What turns you off? <sighs> just, I, I, this is so like cliche, but like, like that that artificialness that a lot, a lot of people need to put on a front to impress you or to appease you or 
you know, what we were talking about before that fake masculinity, machismo, like wounded dog barking all the time because they need to just let you know, um, that, that kind of shit fucking that, that's probably the biggest turnoff in my fucking life and weak minded people, people that will come around me and, and kind of get to know me and then just be like, you know, I was like really scared of you, um, until I really got to know you. I'm like, well, now I don't want to know you anymore because you're a weak-minded person and we don't need to connect anymore. There's no adult that could ever intimidate me. Yeah. You know? What's your, uh, what noise, oh, I'm sorry, what's your favorite curse word? Probably fuck. Yeah, it's gotta Just, be. I, I could use it for everything. Even if you were going to come over to my apartment later on, we were going to hang out, I would probably write you and be like, yo, Jeb, we fucking? <laughs> You know, and, and some of my friends know that that means like, yo, we hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> what sound do you love? Uh, I like the sound of good hip hop. Good old 90s golden era hip hop. Fuck yeah. Now, what noise or sound do you hate? Uh, the constant ringing in my fucking ears. Uh, from all the shows, the tinnitus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Probably a writer. Cool. Now, what profession other than your own would you not like? <sighs> probably like a fucking. Actually, I don't know. I would probably try any that are around me. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't like any of them. But probably like some like insurance salesman in like middle America <laughs> that's like at a fucking desk all day. Yeah. Now, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Yo, man, you were really fucking shitty at that startup, but you you came around at the end. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much. This was fucking Awesome. This is exactly what I fucking wanted to do when I started this podcast. I just wanted to have fucking people talk shit and get real. And, um, man, that was, I don't know. I'm going to have to listen to this like fucking three times over the next weekend just to fucking uh, (laughs) digest it all, man. It was so much good shit in here. Uh, I knew it was going to be good, but, uh, thank you. You did not disappoint. Thanks, man. It's good to hear from you. It's good. Good to see you doing well, man. Uh, Thanks, man. Thank you. At least enjoy it. Actually, it's been raining for the last week, right? But enjoy that California sunshine. At least you guys have fucking warm weather. Thanks, homie. Bye, brother. Thank you, Jeb. Talk to you soon. Take care. Good luck.